Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. The Israelite people are standing on the plain of Moab. Between them and the promised land lies the Jordan River. Gazing across, perhaps they can see the city of Jericho, where they will first taste conflict as they enter the land. Behind the plain, rolling hills of wilderness desert rise up, beckoning them to come across the river and take possession of the land that God has promised to them. It is here that the Israelites listen to Moses' final words to them, recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses knows that he will not enter the promised land with them, and this is his last opportunity to recount to the Israelites God's faithful deeds and God's law. He finishes with the charge we just heard read, urging the Israelites to choose life and prosperity over death and adversity. The choice before them is stark. There are no gray areas here, no mitigating circumstances, no caveats. If they obey God, they will live. If they do not, they will die. I wonder what was going through the Israelites' minds at this point. Are they confident, ready to charge forward and enter the land and claim their promise? Or do they have the self-awareness to realize that their obedience track record thus far is actually pretty dismal? The law was first given to their parents 40 years earlier. God delivered it to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai, while at the bottom of Mount Sinai, the Israelites were all worshiping a golden calf. Then their parents were too scared of the people who inhabited the promised land to cross the Jordan and take possession of it. As a consequence, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until almost everyone in that generation had died. Those 40 years were full of ups and downs. The people would complain to Moses and he would go to God and God would be faithful he gave them water and manna and quail. He saved them from their enemies. He rescued them when they messed everything up. And now Moses is telling them they cannot mess it up anymore. They must obey where their parents disobeyed. And these commands make up the covenant between God and his people. These words are the basis for how Israel stays in right relationship with their God. Obedience and worship of the one true God will result in life and prosperity. Disobedience and worshiping the false gods of the people around them will result in death and adversity. Moses goes so far as to call heaven and earth as witnesses to this covenant. And this means that no matter where the Israelites are, where they go, where they live in the promised land, 
Heaven and earth are there to witness whether or not they're holding up their end of the covenant. We all know this doesn't end well. The Israelites do enter the promised land and take down Jericho, and almost immediately someone disobeys God, the man Achan, who stole some of the spoils from the battle that were supposed to be dedicated to God. And the entire community suffered for his disobedience. And this kicks off the pattern that looks very similar to how their parents behaved in the desert. They obey for a while, and then they stray from God's commands and end up suffering for it, and then repent and promise to obey again. And this cycle repeats over and over again until they end up exiled from the promised land, some to Assyria and the rest to Babylon. Obeying the commands of God is just simply too much. Hundreds of years later, another crowd of Israelites listens to an itinerant preacher. They're seated on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, chilling on the grass with the breeze on their faces. He is also talking about God's commands, and he knows the history of his people. He knows their track record intimately. And yet, instead of lightening the load of the law, Jesus increases it. The law says not to murder, but it really means not to even be angry with someone or insult them. The law says not to commit adultery, but it really means don't even have a single lustful thought. The law says to carry out your vows, but it really means that your word should be so trustworthy that you do not have to make a vow in the first place. Even a simple yes or no should be utterly true. The law says divorce is permissible, but the Israelites have taken that to such an extreme that women are being abandoned for something as simple as burning dinner with the rest of their lives ruined. Marriage vows must mean something more than that. What Jesus does here with the law makes one thing very clear. No one is on the right side of it. Even if you manage to avoid what he says about anger and lust and integrity of speech, he continues a little later with, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. No one can get past that. No one can find life by following these commands, no matter how hard we might try. And nothing has changed much in the 2,000 years since then. The TV show, The Good Place, plays with this question of what does it take to get into heaven, AKA the good place, and avoid hell, AKA the bad place. For humans, Eleanor Cheedy Tahani and Jason find themselves in the good place after they've died, but all four separately realize that they were sent there by accident. 
So they try really hard to be good, to sort of deserve the good place in retrospect so they don't get kicked out. But each one keeps messing it up in their own way. Eleanor is bubbly and cheerful and a really great leader, but still basically self-centered. Chidi is a philosopher of moral ethics, so you might think that he's, he's got that in the bag. But he is so paralyzed by anxiety that he can't make a single choice. Tahani has this resume of all sorts of amazing charitable work. But what doesn't show up on the resume is that her motivation is competing with her sister to earn her parents' love. And Jason is good-hearted but totally clueless. They all have the right intentions and they just can't get it right. Eventually, they figure out that there's this point system that weighs your good behavior against your bad behavior, and they find the one human who's actually been able to live accurately according to the point system and discover that he's utterly miserable because he never gets to do anything that he likes, and he's always just doing everything for everyone around them, no matter how ludicrous that might be. They also discover that it's basically impossible to get into the good place for real because our actions are so complicated and have so many uncontrollable outcomes that it's impossible to choose something that only has good consequences for everyone around them. It's not a Christian show, so it's dealing with these topics from a secular perspective and its theology admittedly gets messy at points. But its basic intuition is spot on. No matter what the good place is, humans just can't get there on their own. If we have to follow rules to find life, then we're doomed. But there is hope here. It shows up in our Old Testament passage if you look at a different but equally viable translation. The one that we read says that loving God, obeying him, and holding fast to him means life and length of days. But the NIV handles one Hebrew pronoun differently. It admonishes us with the exact same direction to obey and love God, but finishes with, for the Lord is your life. It's a subtle difference but it matters because while obedience may be a means to life, that life is found in God himself and not in the obedience. The obedience is important for sure, but the source of the life is not found in ourselves, but outside of ourselves in God. And this is why Jesus can double down on the law the way that he does. He knows that our obedience is never going to get us to life in God. And he wants to make sure that we know that too. He doesn't want us to have some sort of false sense of security in case we're really good at obeying rules outwardly. None of us can survive the law when we look inside of ourselves to our thoughts and our emotions and our motivations. But his obedience opens the door 
so that we can find our life in God despite our disobedience. Jesus is the only one who can follow the law the way that it was intended. Heaven and earth are his witnesses that he kept the covenant perfectly when he walked this earth. He's the only one who loves the Lord his God and walks in his ways and observes his commandments, decrees, and ordinances. He's the only one who can say, I am perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. And because life resides in God, and obedience is merely the path to that life, then Jesus' obedience can be our path to that life. Because Jesus obeyed the law perfectly, there is forgiveness for us when we do not obey it perfectly. That forgiveness ultimately comes through his death and resurrection, but his death and resurrection would be meaningless if it weren't for his obedience in the first place. He is the perfect human, and his perfect life, death, and resurrection are our path to life in God. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org give. Thank you for your support.